Hey folks, welcome to the show. He's Tim Johnson. I'm Chris Ruddick. He combed his hair. Mine decided not to attend. This is For Love of Code. We're talking about all things code. I'm going to bring you some opinionated commentary, a little bit of witty banter, maybe some news, and a whole lot of unsolicited advice. Thank you for joining us. What's going on, Mr. Tim? Not a man. Thanks for noticing the hair. Hmm. <laughs> I've got, uh, what do they call it, COVID hair or whatever. Yeah, I got COVID beard. Cannot wait to be out of quarantine. This is like my playoff beard. You know, like when, uh, when they get hockey and baseball, they start growing it. Yeah. Getting playoffs. Yeah, I started growing it at the beginning of the quarantine. So I want to see just how far it'll go. <laughs> what are the limits your wife allow? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, um, you know, the, the neighbors are starting to lock the doors as I walk around the neighborhood, um, shelter their children and whatnot. Uh, I'm starting to look a little bit like Castaway. And um, it's awfully itchy all up in my face in the region. So I'll be real happy to um, to get it uh, get out of quarantine and get back to my, my beautiful baby face. Although I might keep the mustache and go all Val Kilmer from um, Tombstone because I, I don't know. I'd like to try that look out. But he had a really I thought he had a spotty. Oh uh, no, he had like the he had the curly. Oh yeah, 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 that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Well, he yeah. still had like some something going on here, but. Well, I mean, he was he was on opium, so he he probably had a lot going on, to be honest. <laughs> um, apologize for the clicking. Um, I I I watched. Uh, so I did the what is it AWS uh summit yesterday, and uh um they uh. They just in talking about the, um, uh, the coronavirus, the virus and quarantine and stuff. And uh, I had sent you something earlier about Werner Vogels. Um, he gave the keynote. And so Werner Vogels is, is I believe he's the CTO of, um, of AWS. And his outlook was, and CNET actually picked it up. And why can't I find it? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it says AWS Taup's current way of working is the new normal. So enjoy your beard. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, talk, the, the, the talks and stuff they did were just amazing. And, and at no point what do, do they see any type of slowdown in anything at all. Matter of fact, I, I didn't quite understand the graphic that he threw up, but, but it was either th up from the beginning of the year up through March 30th or just the week of March 30th, they had already had three times the number of, of uh, I guess, watched video um, than all of 2019. What does um, that include? All the platforms that they support or yeah. just their content? Well, I, th I think it was an overall number like streaming video. Um, it was I I did listen to the fireside chat and um, you know, when he just starts rattling off all the services that are running on AWS yeah. and you're, you're a big fan of AWS, Amazon web services. I am too. I think they've done an amazing job of just providing transformative services that, um, and, and we're not getting paid by them. This is just my opinion, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, the, the businesses that they provide, the business services that they provide through, uh, their their cloud platform uh, just is is growing like mushrooms, and um, you know is really 
comparatively quite affordable and quite approachable from uh, just about any any business's perspective. Um, so we we um, in in our day to day jobs uh, we we promote Amazon Web Services um, not not because we have a partnership or, or any other reason, but besides we believe in the technology and and the platform of what they're doing. But he goes on to say that um, you know they've got Disney Plus, they've got they've got Netflix. They're you know they have their own Amazon Prime content, and that's just the video streaming services. And then they, he just rattled off so many platforms that are backboned by by their infrastructure. It was staggering. Yeah, that whole being able like you know we've talked a couple a couple um, episodes ago about kind of what you could do like when you're quarantined and stuff, and one of the topics that Werner Vogels uh, brought up in the keynote was there was some group that within 24 hours had an actual app out to, I think it wasn't a tracking app, but I think it was something like to remind you to like wash your hands and, and social distancing and all this other uh, stuff. But within 24 hours, they had that app out and in the hands of something like a hundred thousand people. Wow. And you just, you can't, as an organization without the the able the ability to flex up like that at at literally a moment's notice i just i can't see how you can function and some of the stuff you were talking about in the fireside chat with andy jassy um you know he he kept referencing that people that aren't going to the cloud you're defying gravity like he like his vision of of everything is everything's kind of in the cloud and it's you know based on you know how things are going right now. I just, I, I, I don't have a hole in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's he. He did talk about, um, you know, businesses that are on the fence around the cloud. So, um, I, and I, I know a, a few of them. Um, I, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of the concerns that they that these on the fence businesses have relayed to me is around security, and I, I said, you know, like. The, the National Security Agency, the NSA, is is on the cloud. Just yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. You know those those are the kind of debates that I come back to. I said if it's if it's good enough for for um, for the NSA, it's probably good enough for you know your 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 local mom and pop shop. But I mean, I I what what do you think leads to some of this reluctance around adopting the cloud? I mean, I mean from an outsider's perspective looking in, you know, as a small business who might be looking to um, position themselves well for future growth, I think cloud computing is a really attractive offer. We don't own any servers, but we have access to a lot of servers, as many servers as we need, and we're just paying on an incremental scale. Now, what would it cost me if I wanted to have a server and support it? You know, it would be I mean, the server itself is what? I mean, ten thousand dollars. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I did some calculation of just a basic server, even if you pulled something off eBay, and then you're talking about what you what do you want to host? Yeah. But you, you're thinking like infrastructure costs that aren't that you don't think about. Like, are you going to host this at your house? Yeah. Are, are you hoping the internet doesn't go out? I'm pretty sure I'm there's a. Put it in my bedroom closet, and my yeah, wife. Yeah. So I mean. Some some businesses start like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, if you're true talking about a business 
a business class, a business grade service that you get with an, like an AWS or an Azure or somebody, or what's what's the other big one? Uh, Google Google Cloud uh, platform. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're getting a business grade uh, connection. You're getting you're getting um, you know uh, remote or uh, excuse me like uh, power backups. Should you have a hurricane that rolls through? Um, you're getting you're getting backups and failovers and stuff should hardware fail. I mean, there's all kinds of things that um, you as an individual, while you might say, oh, I could do that. Do you want to? I mean, aren't you? And I, I mean, think that's one of the things, too, is raw dollars and cents. I mean, like the power bill alone yep. might be less than the price to, to run a, a virtual instance on on a cloud platform. Oh, it actually, absolutely is. Like to spin and up gotta, an EC2. Gotta, I mean, yes, spin up an EC2 and and run it, and comparatively, you know, the the, the price of your power yeah. and your heating and cooling alone, yeah, probably evens out. Yeah, and, and your internet. I mean, because you got to have you know obviously a dedicated line to it. Um, it's, I mean, so there's so there's that that aspect. You know, the 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 concern over the cost, and I guess. You know, I've, I've I've been party to the argument before where it's like, um, I don't know if it's it's you know you you have a psychology background. Is it is it a human psychology thing where it's like, oh, I'd rather pay for it once than to continue to pay a small amount on it over time. So I'd rather make that ten thousand dollar bill and just pay it and it goes away, and now I own this resource as opposed to paying two hundred dollars a month for a thing that I don't own. That's continuously reminding me that I'm paying for it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I'm sure there's there's an economic uh, economic factors that go into that um, because you know you're looking at it from the perspective of you know your your one time cost, um, but you're also not factoring in power and electric. Those are those are what what are they like? You have to pay for that anyways. Um, so it's like they don't ever they don't ever factor that in. That's also another thing. Jassy brought up that he, they've done thousands of studies and not once have they come back and shown that um, AWS or that, that the homegrown solution is better at AWS from a cost, availability, scalability, um, um, usability perspective, um, not, not once. And I believe it. I mean, that's not to say AWS is the cheapest solution because I think we've covered that before. They're not, they're not cheap. Um, or the cheapest, and yeah, you can you can you can trick yourself into thinking it's cheaper because you pay for a server. But you know what's the server grade that you're getting, um, and then well, you've got all the infrastructure to deal with. You still have to support it. I mean, yep. you still. I mean, I've I've worked with people who their job was to babysit computers yep. and just be there when they stop working. And I'm yep. like, that's that's a consider considerable amount of money that somebody's getting paid to play Minesweeper. Yeah, it's it's the the total cost of ownership doesn't even start to include things like your regular maintenance schedules and your patching and yep. you know like the one of the hard drives in the raid fails and you've got to replace that and you have to like you said do your backups. There's a ton of consideration when it comes into just oh I've got this machine that I've got to support. It's not like your your laptop at at uh, that you picked up at the local, you know, big box store. It's, you know, this, it's a, 
it's a thing that needs to be maintained and i'm more than happy to not pay for that <laughs> like i will i will include that in the total monthly bill that gets sent to me yeah. because it's going to be a, a tiny minute fraction yeah. of what it would cost me to pay for that on an annual basis if I did it myself. Well, yeah. And then you got to pay all your employees to maintain all that stuff. I mean, none of those things, they just don't think of it that way. And it'd be great to not have hardware and infrastructure to have to deal with when you're like, Hey, we're not a hardware company. We're not an infrastructure company. We are, you know, say a logistics company. Why do I have to worry about servers? Perfect. Don't. <laughs> We've both worked with companies that have, you know, have and still maintain data centers. Um, yeah. Is is this one of these? I'm chasing chasing good money or chasing how's it go? Chasing they, bad money with good to yeah, uh, what do they call it? Sunk cost. Yeah, I've already paid this much to get my data center up and running. I better keep paying this yeah. much, even though in the long run. You know, it's kind of a losing proposition. I don't know. I, I've, I've yet to hear an argument around the cloud besides the, um, you know, the trust factor that has led me to believe um, that it's not not the smarter option. Um, yeah, and so I, I mean, again, in that talk that Andy brought up. And I, I was like, wow, like he's nailing like everything, um, you know, like CIOs, he's had CIOs that have agreed the cloud is the right answer, but he doesn't want the, you know, that CIO doesn't want the headache, let, let the next guy deal with it kind yeah. of stuff. And you can kind of see those kinds of things. You, you've got, you know, old school people that, you know, like they're, they're, they're the same ones that are probably complaining that they need butts in seats and trying to force people back to work when it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm just as productive, um, from home. Um, so, I mean, I know, I know my wife and I, she's got several of her coworkers that are actually more productive at home because they're, they don't have the two hour drive back and forth. And, you know, if they need to do something later, they will, and you get you, the morale is much better, uh, as well. Um, cause they're not having to deal with that stuff. So. Yeah, I worked for a company whose um, entire data center uh, was on the first floor of a building and a hurricane came through and the water was up to the second floor of the building. And guess oh. where the backups were? Oh. Right next to the servers. So they oh. not only lost all their infrastructure, they lost all of their backups. Oh. Um, you know maybe some red flags might have gone off, you know, hey, you're kind of in a, I don't know, the path of a hurricane, you might want to consider diversifying where, where you keep your stuff. But again, it, it, it harkens back and, you know, maybe that's a forcing function. It's like, hey, we've, <laughs> we've been burned. Maybe you have to be burned, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing right now in, in our, in the current climate is that um, businesses who are slow to adopt and adapt to the changing conditions all were forced i know a company up the street who um they went entirely paperless in a week they were still running off of paper and that process they've done it in the other offices you know, that process takes them 
six months. They had they they were forced to do it in a week. You think they're going to go back to paper when they're done? No. Yeah. So I mean, organizationally, I see, especially, I, I have I have big problems with big business um, because big business in general has a really hard time being agile and and um, pivoting onto um, new technologies and adopting a mindset that you know is truly um, could be more beneficial to to a business. Um, but, you know, like, why does it take a catastrophic event in order to to elicit some change? Like, you know, can can we be a bit more proactive? Can we think about these things or, you know, to your point, is it uh, that problem's way too big? I'll just I'll leave that for the next guy to, to deal with. I got I got two more years some padding my retirement and then I'll be in the Caymans. Sayonara. Well, I mean, some some people don't see um technology as a a necessary a necessary um commodity i guess is is the word a, a necessary like a a thing that makes your company grow is the technology you know like i, I mentioned earlier that that one company that threw out an app in 24 hours i mean how how are you going to grow and you know that's cloud helps you grow there as well you're not pinned down to a couple servers that are stuck in a room that you got to hope are not in a disaster zone or something like that. Yeah, I get that. I mean, a company that, that we've worked with recently, you know, they, all their investment in technology was on physical assets. They didn't, you know, that they're, they're considering how to, um, you know, make savings through, uh, you know, fuel economy and better manufacturing practices. Yeah not so much through, you know, being able to uh, be more agile in the back office. But I mean, everybody, you know, a gallon of gas saved is the same as, you know, five hours of someone's time saved. You know, it's, there's, it's all dollars and cents at the end of the day. And I personally believe that if a business isn't looking to at themselves as a technology company, they, they are soon going to be, you know, uh, shutting their doors or facing a crisis moment where they're going to have to rapidly pivot and rapid forced innovation is a lot harder to pull off than proactive, well thought out innovation. <laughs> yeah. That's that, that's that defying gravity stuff that Andy Jassy was talking about. You know, it's, it's, uh, do, do you want to, con- do you want to control, um, your ascent into the cloud or do you want to <laughs> be forced be forced into it because of some catastrophic thing that is now reported uh, to your annual uh stakeholders and all the other stuff or shareholders um yeah and then some of those companies that like like you said they just don't they don't see technology like their technology focus is kind of like well like for a trucking company or something like that they're looking at more how can I uh, get better gas mileage when it's like, well, maybe technology could solve it in a way like say, like for UPS, they figured out that um, making only right-hand turns actually saves gas. Like it's, it's counterintuitive and they've, they proved it in Mythbusters and everything else, but they threw through machine learning and crunching the numbers and stuff. They figured out that only right-hand turns, saves gas 
Um, it also saves in, in cost of uh, collisions and everything else because you're not cut, turning left across in front of somebody or having to wait, you know. So, I mean, your cost savings become not necessarily as obvious just like for, you know, going cloud. It's like, hey, we're, we, we don't have as much we don't have any many as many collisions. We can reduce our insurance. You know, you start to see all these things. So if you start to, if you start to be creative in what you're thinking of, what is what is savings? Um, I mean, I think I guess that speaks to our methodology is that you and I are very much focused on numbers and performance indicators. So if we're going to yeah. work a project, we're going to try to look at the total the totality of the things and how we can measure them and then make an improvement and then measure and see if we've if actually made an improvement. Um, but again, that, that, that points to, you know, having, having a good understanding of your operation, being able to measure it, being able to make minute, you know, it's, it's a very scientific approach, right? I change a variable, I measure, I change a variable, I measure. And then we have something demonstrable at the end to show, uh, you know, Hey, we made, we made an improvement and here's the number that you can expect as a result of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, sometimes it's just identifying those, those, where those KPIs, those key performance indicators lie, you know, maybe, maybe your existing KPIs don't, don't tell the, uh, the, the whole picture. Like, Hey, we're always looking at, you know, number of deliveries or speed of delivery. It's like, okay, well maybe there's some other ones that show that we are in fact, changing or that we have gotten better at 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 something and here's here's where we can show those kinds of things and it goes back to question you know something that i'm famous for is questioning why are we doing it this way i mean even if it's even if it's process or code or something that i've written myself i will routinely come back to it and go well why are we doing it this way are these are these uh are these things that were in effect when this code was written or when these decisions were made, are those still applicable? I mean, I would say today, if you know, more than anything, like, hey, what if anybody had predicted that this would be how the the world would look in 2020, I'm fairly certain none of this pandemic stuff was on anybody's radar to be even think about. But now you need to, you know, pivot. And so maybe like I said, whatever direction you're headed might not be might not be the way of the future. So you obviously have to be able to recognize that, pivot, um, come up with uh, other ways to identify new lanes of of service, or um, or you're finding a way to do more in the same. I mean that to use you know ups maybe it still takes the same amount of time to go around the neighborhood and hit every house my house twice because you know (laughs) but uh maybe it still takes the same amount of time you know on average but maybe you know you tweak something in the back office and now you expand your capacity you double your capacity so now you're able to do twice as many deliveries they still take the same amount of time, but you've become more efficient at scheduling or more efficient at taking orders or getting your inventory out the door or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we deal a lot in the supply chain, so we, we probably are going to talk a lot about, you know, truck and transportation related issues. But that's um, 
that's just by the nature of the the uh the kind of business we've been doing but um you know the i think you kind of have to take a total look at um at organizationally how the process is being done and you might not be able to solve every process i can't make the speed limit 99 miles an hour right i can't make the ups truck hover and you know float over neighborhoods like i can't solve some of those problems but i can solve you know getting orders in the door faster and dispatching and um invoicing and all the other things that go along with a business and i think you know that's where you know you really have to have somebody kind of come in like uh yourself who's going to ask the questions how come we're doing it this way and was it um Toyota was it Toyota who was famous for the uh, for the five whys? So you ask why. You know why are you doing it this way? Oh well, you know um, we have to do it this way because our our business partner wants us to uh, put it in this format. Well, why? Um, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll very quickly come to that point where uh, nobody can account for the reason a decision was made that way, and. You know, maybe you have to go back to that business partner. Hey, how come you're asking for it in uh, in this format? Oh, that was the format that you guys said you needed six years ago. Yeah. Who said that? Oh, um, that lady that's no longer with the company anymore. <laughs> yep. Right. Exactly. So we're going to continue using this process the way we've always done it. I'm using air quotes for my, my listeners. Um, we're going to continue to do it the way we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Not because it makes sense or because it's a good process. It's just because it's the process that we know. And we like to come in and rattle those cages and say, well, okay, I accept your process. We're going to throw all of this into question. We're going to measure it. We're going to see where we can make an improvement and we're going to test it out. And, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the 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 chance that you can improve the chance that we can find something to make your operation better is a lot better than the chance that we won't. There are very few companies who have um, absolutely no problems and run super efficiently. I like to say that, um, you know, when, when people leave a job, they're going to greener pastures. And I say, well, yeah, but there's, that's, there's a thing about pastures and they're all covered in crap. So like <laughs> there's no, there's no perfect business to go to work for. There's no, uh, panacea that I've ever seen. I've worked for companies that are uh, 125,000 employees, 75,000 employees, 35,000 employees, uh, 15,000 employees, three employees. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen them all. They all have problems. Funny, many of them have the same problems. Yeah. They just, you know, are sitting on higher lists. You know, they're on the Fortune 500. So we look at them and we're like, oh, you know, they've got it all figured out. No, they don't. They still have problems. Yeah, they're just, they're, they're, you know, a lot of times just figuring out what works for right now. Yes. Maybe, maybe yep. to get them through the, through the next promotion or something and make it somebody else's problem. Yeah, I, I, I really, um, you know, I see a lot of businesses that, and I talk with a lot of businesses. So I, I've, I've, I've been peeking behind the, the curtain as it were, um, you know, there's, there's just so much proactive, there's no proactive behavior. It's all reactive. It's just, you know, what's, what is the fire that's in front of me right now? Meanwhile, the whole house is burning behind me. And, um, 
you know, I think that speaks to why you and I kind of so readily adopted um, the project management structure that we did, because uh, businesses are are constantly um, changing and reprioritizing, and it's hard for them to really, um, you know, sit back and wait for you know, a protracted amount of time in order for a big software project to get done. Because by that time, you know, the, the requirements are probably far different from what they started out as. Um, so as some background, Tim and I met on a government contract. Um, uh, it was a multi-year contract. Uh, I think it ended up being like a billion dollar project, hundreds of engineers. Um, uh, end of the story, they spent all the money and never finished the project. And, um, it was, in my opinion, um, probably a pretty, pretty much a failure. I'm sure they, they figured out a way to get something out the door, but you and I were long gone by that yeah. point. But that was, uh, my first introduction to, um, to the agile methodology coming from projects that were historically managed, uh, using waterfall. So, you are my agile scrum expert. So why don't you give the, uh, the folks at home kind of the, the, the quick primer on what agile is all about. And, um, and then we can kind of weigh the pros and cons. Well, so at a high level, and I don't have the manifesto in front of me, it was a group of, of developers, software engineers. Um, I, I think there's a couple um, actual physical engineers of like electric electronics or something like that. But they came up with 12 rules that a project should follow things like um, uh, favor communication over documentation because documentation frequently is out of date. Um, uh, let me well, while I'm talking about it, let me just pull it up. Uh, let's see. Um, So apologies for not having this right on the top of my head. Uh, so some key some key guys that that we've followed in, in software: Kent Beck, Martin Fowler, um, Dave Thomas, um, <laughs> Uncle Bob. His name's Bob Martin. Yeah, um, open invitation to all these gentlemen if they would like to come on the show. <laughs> I would um, I would totally be a fanboy and um, try not to geek out too hard. But I would love to have a conversation with any and all of these these gentlemen uh, at pretty much any time they're available. Yeah. So so the manifest the manifesto is um, the highest priority is the satisfaction of the customer. Um, you want early and continuous delivery of valuable software, so you start to have to process like what valuable is. Um, so we so one of the methodologies that we we uh, frequently uh, try and evaluate for, from a software delivery perspective is something called an MVP, minimum viable product. Like what can we push out that will satisfy the customer's needs? Um, maybe even answer some questions that we have um, as early as possible. I mean, you don't wanna spend so traditionally waterfall, you know, you could spend six months just coming up gathering requirements. Well, we could in a matter of what we call a sprint, um, cause we, the, the methodology we use within agile is called scrum. Um, but within th a three week period or two week period, you could actually build something and show it to a customer. 
And I can tell you, even by our, our, Chris and I's most recent uh, project that we worked on, we did a demo um, and we actually got uh, a giggle out of one of the customers uh, because a feature that was requested was available to her within three weeks. And she just, you could just, she got actual joy out of being able to see that, hey, I asked for this and look, they translated it into a feature. So they actually feel like they're even part of contributing uh, to this. And they're not just talking to somebody that's writing something down and a year down the road, they might end up seeing this stuff. Um, so one of the, the other tenets of this stuff is changing, uh, welcome changing requirements. Um, even late in the development process, like we're constantly trying to reevaluate um, things as we as we're building them. Chris is fond of saying we're building the car as we're driving down the road, um, and that's a that's kind of an agile uh, thing. Uh, we do our, uh, our our de facto motto for for love of code. Uh, yeah. just... <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there, folks. We're getting better. Uh, so delivering software quickly, uh, or excuse me, frequently. Um, so again, the customers can touch it and feel it and we can make sure that, hey, what, what, what we heard you say, we translated it into functional code. Are we on the right path? Um, is it servicing business needs? Um, the business people, this is a key thing that, that we, we, we struggle with um, is having the business buy, <clears throat> excuse me, the business buy into the process. Um, frequently we end up with people that will talk to us and say, Hey, can you drop whatever it is you're doing and work on my pet thing that I need to do right now? And it's like, they, you're, you're sacrificing being able to do something for somebody else or something for the whole project in order to service this one person. So that's, that's really one of the things we, we struggle with from a business perspective. Um, we um, so another another tenant here is is you build a project around motivated individuals. So the idea is, is they have buy-in and they they actually want to produce the thing that that we're talking about. I mean, I can tell you there's there's nothing worse than having somebody who's lukewarm on a project and you need answers to something. You know, do we go blue or green? And they're like, I don't care. And it's like, ah, come on, man. So somebody's got to make these decisions. Um, you know, you pick one, it's always going to be the wrong one. Um, so, um, so working software is the primary measure of progress, also a tenant. Um, so we value that over, over anything else. I mean, if you deliver something that's broken, ah, you, you, you missed. Um, we want uh, to provide a provide sustainable development. Um, so that's, that's in relation to, we're not doing these marathon, you know, 12 to 14 hour days, even 24, 36 hours straight. I've, I've been on those teams. So the idea is if we want an even, even pace of, of development, so you're not burning out your developers. Um, there's a continuous uh, attention to technical, technical excellence and good design. Um, so those things are, are you're, you're focused on doing the right thing at the right time. Uh, simplicity um, is essential. Um, you know, doing doing more with less is 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 a big thing. Um, the best architectures, requirements, designs emerge from self-organized teams. So you're gonna get you're gonna get the right people in the group together. Um, 
And that's something I, I read an article that was talking about how do you get the team. And when you meet regularly um, and make sure that you're kind of reviewing what what has gone on and kind of adjust your behaviors um, accordingly. So, you know, what works, keep doing what needs work, what needs uh, tweaking, tweak it. And some of this stuff was taken from some of the Toyota, the Toyota stuff. Um, gosh, I can't even remember what the guy's name is. He kind of coined, uh, was it lean? The lean process where they just constantly are evolving and iterating. Lean manufacturing. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So, um, so and that principle is all around, you know, taking something to the point of completion, as opposed to if you're going to build 10 somethings, you build them one at a time, as opposed yeah. to building uh, part of 10 things and then part of 10 things and then part of 10 things. Sure, at the end of both of these processes, you might have 10 things. However, if you get preempted halfway through, one of these things, one of these processes, you'll end up with five done things. The other one, you'll end up with zero done things. Yeah. So we, we kind of take the same approach in Agile with um, in terms of feature sets and that we will drive a feature all the way home to completion so that, like Tim said, at the end of one of these iterations, we have something that's demonstrable that we can put in the hands of our users. And we've, we've, we ran in parallel with a waterfall group. And I think this uh, really was telling they were, um, they were chartered right around the same time that we were on a project. They went off for 18 months and spent multiple millions of dollars with hundreds of developers and came back and said, look, we're done. And the customer said, that's not what we want. Yep. Okay. Well, that's going to be a change order. Yeah. Yep. Multiple, <laughs> multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. They went back off for like three, somewhere between three and six months, came back again. Here, we did all the things you wanted. Yeah, but that's not what we want now. Yeah. Yeah. Project done. So I don't know how many, it was, it was more, it was, I want to say it was between two and $10 million by the time it was all said and done. Mm. And the customer ended up just cutting the project at the same exact time. We had our team of, uh, four, <laughs> we delivered code every three weeks. We demonstrated code every three weeks in, um, in, in what's referred to as a retrospective or a, an end of sprint type meeting to our customers, to our stakeholders. So they could see, exactly the trajectory we were on. And as we're going along, we redirected and redirected and redirected. So at the end of 18 months, we were further ahead than this group of hundreds of engineers who had to go back to the drawing board. And by the way, they screen captured the product that we wrote and gave it to them as guidance for the thing that they wanted <laughs> to build. Nice. So comparatively, <clears throat> Um, I would say that was a win for the agile process. Yeah. I, I've been a big fan mm -hmm. uh, ever since I was introduced to it because I was coming off of um, contracts where it was very much focused on waterfall. We're going to capture all the requirements in this like 100 page requirements document. And we're going to, you know, we're 
that some consultant went off for six months and captured all the, the, the I's and the T's and, and you know what I'm saying? They, they, they thought they had the entire project completely figured out. And then you, you go off and you develop for multiple years and you come back and the customer evaluates. Yes, it does this. And yes, it does that. And yes, it does this. And it would take, um, you know, some of these products would be five to 10 years between the actual development and the actual fielding of the product. Now, is that really serving your user base? Probably not. And, and the pace of technology has, is so much further and faster than it was 15 years ago when I was doing those contracts that if I went off and wrote something and came back in five years for them to brought it to the marketplace, it, I'm going to get laughed off. You know, it's the, that, that is an immediate bankruptcy. There, there will be no, <laughs> there's no coming back from that. So I have to be as a software developer and as, and as a software business, I have to be, flexible. I have to be light on my feet and I have to be able to pivot and adjust because business is changing all the time. I need to be changing to keep up with business Yeah, and I need to be developing my product so that it can continually keep up with business and best serve my customers. So I've, I've kind of bridged across a lot of different things right there. Let's go to developers. Why, why would a developer really be interested in adopting the agile tech agile methodology why can't we just have a wolf pack and a bunch of wolves who are lone wolves and they go off and do their own thing and then come back when they're done why can't why can't i be a lone wolf in my wolf pack man why do you have to ask me that question <laughs> um you have an opinion on it <laughs> yeah because yeah so i've we've dealt with the, the lone wolves that like to, and there's a place for those people. Um, you know, they'll, they might crank out good code. Um, but you know, there's no, um, there, there's no, uh, collaboration, uh, or, and that's one of the keys to, to being, to doing agile is to have that, um, collaboration, um, and value that, that communication. Um, you definitely need to be able to um, talk to your to your um, shareholders, stakeholders, the people that you're building the product for, um, and understand what they're talking about, and understand how to translate that into something. Not, ha! I know how to solve that. I'll I'll be back. I mean, there's no difference between that and just waiting six months for a product to be completed. You know, you want to be able to. You, you want to be able to get feedback from them. Also, being able to get feedback from them gets your shareholders and stakeholders uh, involved in the process, which helps facilitate one of these other core tenets is that you, that you want your, you want your, uh, your audience, your, that group to be involved. You don't want them to be complacent in whatever you put out is going to be good enough. Um, yeah, and I think oftentimes, especially when you're building from scratch, the customer doesn't necessarily they think they know what they want, but yeah. they can't articulate it or yeah. they can't uh, put it in a, in a form that you can act from. So sometimes it takes that back and forth. You, you're going to maybe come to them with a couple of different ideas or, you know, start down the road of development in order for them to, you know, for the lights to come on and yeah. you, you can really start honing in on the vision that they, they might have, but didn't don't really have the, the means to, to, to give to you. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, oftentimes, and we're on projects as well, where the suggestion is the Swiss Army knife of everything. Can you make it Excel? You know, they always want to have something exported to an Excel because they can figure out how to do that. And it's like, is Excel really what you really want? I mean, ultimately, Excel, from my knowledge, and I have very limited knowledge uh, of it because it that's like a that's like a four letter word to me, <laughs> even though it's five. But um, it it uh, you're you're trying to ultimately answer a question with Excel, and so if that's the case, a, a good um, a good communications hopefully going to clean that out. That you're going to keep asking follow up questions, and a lone wolf would I, I suspect would go so far as to just hey, I know exactly what you're asking for. I'll just build it for you. And next thing you know, you've got Excel. And it's like, well, Excel already exists. What are you, <laughs> why are we building Excel again? Right. So. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of value in the diversity of thought. And I think, uh, you know, one thing that we really emphasize is the strength of a team. Um, because as, as, as much as, um, you know, alpha programmers think they know everything. Nobody knows everything about everything. And, uh, you, you know, somebody on your team might be able to bring that experience or have a contact who has had that experience. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the, 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 the knowledge of the collective. And, um, you know, we make a lot of, um, uh, we make a big deal about, you know, functioning as a team, you know, working as a team, we're, we're still heads down programming on our own, but we're touching base constantly. We're, we're communicating ideas. We're asking for help. We're, um, we're, we're trying to bring, uh, I'll say junior programmers, you know, less seasoned programmers up to, to a higher level. Uh, we're, we're reviewing code. Uh, we're, we're constantly sharpening the saw to, to, to steal that, um, that metaphor. So the, the value of the team is, is really, uh, made a, made a huge, uh, impact for me coming in as, you know, having been a lone wolf. The other thing that, um, that was really valuable for me was, um, it gave structure to, uh, to my projects. So, uh, you know, coming from a waterfall project where we were, you know, working on a set of requirements and, you know, we might work on a project for six, 12, 18 months to uh, doing very short iterations, you know, two and three week sprints that gave me the, the ability to uh, start and end my work in a reasonable amount of time and then focus on the things that typically get skipped when it's, you know, when we get around to it. So the documentation and doing the code reviews and, uh, you know, cleaning up the code and making sure that I didn't miss anything, looking for um, software defects, you know, something that might've been identified by, by our static code analysis tools. Like all that stuff was um, the nice to have stuff that we would get around to someday. Doing it within an agile structure made it mandatory. And it was really refreshing to me because it was just like, ah, you know, I. I have finished all the work that there is for me to do. Now I will do all the, the extra things that I'm required to do to get a product done. And at the end of it, I have a, a much higher quality product 
that I wouldn't have been able to facilitate if um, if I was in just a traditional structure. Yeah, and, and to you know to to go a little bit further into that a little bit, you know, some of that's attributed to the team. You know, um, and we're not talking about just a team of developers. You know, the members of the team are the shareholders, the the project managers, the the DevOps people, the DBAs, system yeah. administrators. That's the go into team. that a little bit more because the, it was it was new to me coming to to an agile project where it was like, oh, we've got the, our business analyst is right here next to you, and yeah. our your subject matter expert is right here next to you, and your stakeholder you're going to see them every day. It's it's a much different structure than um, I'll say uh, the traditional office park setting where the sales team is out on the West Wing, you know, playing ping pong all day. And uh, the, the boss is over in the corner office with the door shut, probably practicing his golf swing. And the manager has got the, the larger cubicle down over there and they just come by you know, once or twice a day to make sure everybody's in their chair and working. It's that whole integrated, um, the integrated agile team was new to me. And it was really, um, it was really uh, eye opening to, to, uh, to the value of having people co-located and all focused on the same effort. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that key is everybody's focused on the same effort. So like you become, part of that team and that effort. Um, you know, we, when we do again, scrum is one of the methodologies that we use to achieve agile. Agile is the, the manifesto kind of stuff. Um, and scrum is one of a way to solve some of those problems. Um, but one of the things that we're, we do at the beginning of the sprint is come up with a list of tasks, that's our contract that we we are agreeing to our stakeholders and shareholders that hey by the end of the sprint we're agreeing to do all of this work and so that gives um the team kind of a, a goal line of something to do so when you're focused on you know when you when you've got you know sales staff or whatever they still have to do their sales and things but you also know that you've got this other thing that's got to be done well, those, those things tend to take, um, they're, they're not, um, uh, they're not stuffed to the side. Whereas, oh yeah, if you're, if you've, if you've got your sales team over there, they're like, Hey, I'm focused on sales and you'll never get a salesman to, to give you any time because their, their time is spent trying to get customers and get sales, not talk to a developer about some process or some software that may or may not they they find useful but if they're on the team well now hey there this this is a thing now i have to i have to be involved and so you get you get all of that and that's why one of the key, the core things was have have buy-in because if you have somebody that's on your team that just doesn't get it or doesn't care because you know they're focused on what they perceive as their real job um then that could be a detriment uh, to the team. Right. Um, and then they're, you know, they're, they're out there. I'll use a salesman as an example. They're out there selling something that the development team might not be building or, yeah. you know, or they're making promises 
you know, if they are a manager, they're making promises to upper management that the, the team hasn't agreed to or can't cover. You know, yeah. they're, they're committing, you know, um, you know, they're over committing the team and it's not, you know, it's not fair. Uh, and it, it's, it's certainly not um, not going to set them up for success. Well, you even get that cross pollination, too, of, you know, you get to hear like like in the organization that we were talking or that you were talking about before, you know, you you hear BAs talk and the, the BAs hear the developers talk and you, you hear project managers and all. That. I mean, you, you you start to get this bleed over of conversations that you hear that as a developer, you're like, hey, uh, I you know, you raise your hand and you're like, I we. We can't quite do that. And hey, you know, Steve didn't quite say that that way. And so you you have more knowledge of of the product as a whole because you're not necessarily uh, specifically involved, but you're you're at least um, uh, marginally involved in some of these conversations. And so everybody and that's one of the things that I liked about where we were at is the whole team was kind of like in the same space. So if you had a question, you could quickly and rapidly get get that feedback right then. Because again, the goal was to get that uh, demonstrable, high quality, on time product out the door. Um, because there, we're trying to get it to our the ultimate stakeholder at the end. Okay, so, so I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Like if I'm a project manager and I'm used to just being able to look down the hall and say, Hey, uh, Jimmy, I need you to, uh, program this in for me. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've been able to operate in that way. I've been able to fire drill it and, and, um, you know, take care of the priorities as they're coming to me as quickly as I can. Um, why would I, why would I want to adopt an agile methodology? I feel like I would be getting less stuff done. My priorities aren't getting met. And, um, and overall, it feels like a lot more work because I have to like be engaged in this team now, whereas before I could just trust that my developers were going to, you know, go off and take as long as they need and then come back to me when it was done. So you're going to end up with a lot of thrashing. You're going to end up with a lot of context switching. Um, and like you had mentioned before, you'll end up with a lot of half done stuff. So another tenant that, that Agile uh, mentions is that um, that you want to have a sustainable pace you want to be able to do that that work um uh over an indefinite period of time you know if you if you're today you're working on this tomorrow you're working on that and there none of them ever get finished you you end up with a, a list of then you get endless emails of hey did you ever get that chance to get to that and you're like wait that that fell down my list like it that's like 17th on my list now you can almost not get anything done um, so one of the things that we do, um, and it's, it's kind of an art form, I guess, uh, with regards to when, when to, when to give somebody information right then versus, Hey, I, this is going to take some research. It hasn't been planned for in the sprint. I, I can this wait. And that, that's, you know, one of those conversations, but typically the person that's asking you for X if they're intimate, if they're involved with the sprint, they'll already know the answer of your time available and will be able to plan accordingly. They, they, they will realize that, Hey, when I ask this question, I know I'm, I'm not going to get it 
in one hour, unless it's something, you know, supremely small and we can have that discussion. Um, but it's something like, hey, we need to find out details on um, the this data source or something like that. Okay, we'll put it in the ba our backlog, which is how we track everything that's been asked for. And if it's important, it'll get done. If it's not, maybe somebody, maybe somebody during a meeting just asks off the cuff, hey, it'd be nice to know that. Okay, we throw it on the backlog. And if we get to it, if we get to it, if we don't, guess what? That tells you it wasn't really important because it either one never came back up or everything else just keeps piling on top of it from a, from a priority standpoint and never gets done. Um, yeah, I like to point out um, <laughs> I've been given four number one priorities. Which one do you want me to work on? Because yeah. I can't prioritize everything you give me. And I like, uh, I really like the structure of a project management software. And there are plenty of them out there from no cost to high cost options. Um, there's not a lot of difference between those things. Uh, but in general, just having a piece of software to track your projects to show, okay, I'm asking for this thing, but I see that the team is working on these other things that I previously said are, you know, really high priority. Let me evaluate that. Uh, yeah, that falls lower in the scale. Okay. I understand they'll get to it when they get to it. Yeah. And that, uh, from a, from a, from a programmer's perspective, it's really great because, you know, you're, you're not getting these constant interrupt. Oh, we need you to, uh, stop everything you're doing and, uh, work on this thing over here. And then, Oh, nope. I need you to really get back. And, you know, there's this constant interrupts, this constant, like you said, context switches going back and forth between different projects, priorities, technologies, programs, products. I mean, it could be any number of things. Um, it, you can't make an immediate switch. So there's a cost associated with, you know, maybe it's retooling. Maybe it's, you know, I have to check the code back out. Maybe it's, I have to mentally regroup and figure out where was I before I was interrupted. There's a cost to that. And ultimately, uh, you know, you're not as a, your, your developer is not as efficient when they're having to switch between tasks from a developer's perspective. It's great because it gives you cover and you can say, Nope, you gave me my priority. I'm working on my priority. Yeah. And, when I'm done, I will get to the next priority. Okay. Uh, from a manager's perspective, it, it allows you to have much more visibility into where your project is than um, than a traditional means. I, I hear managers all the time who say, I'm just really not sure what my guys are working on right now. Yeah. And I, that's not necessarily a faulting of the manager. It's probably just a faulting of, you know, tracking and 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 um ident identifying and tracking the tasking that you've got you folks working on i i before i came to you know a true project manager software system i had a manager who literally would just hand out post-it notes and he would just put a bunch of post-it notes up on the board and then he would say all right chris here's your priority and he would just give me this really poorly written post-it note that um I would typically have to ask him to read to me because his handwriting, <laughs> but that was my priority. And I would work on that priority until it was completed. And then he would come around and give me another post-it note. You know, that was his system. That was fine. And that's how he kept track of things. I see so many project managers who just 
prioritize by what's ever in the top of their inbox or the last meeting they were in. And by doing that, it just creates a big mess. And I, I again, to, to the agile structure, that uh, helps smooth a lot of this stuff away. Well, it's funny. So you mentioned that post-it note um, thing. So that, that feels and sounds a lot like another agile methodology called Kanban. Um, where you're just you just have tasks you take the next task um, uh, I, I would say from a from a project manager's perspective I don't know how you manage that to see how progress is being made um, so that would be problematic from that perspective um, but one thing you had said about providing cover to a developer um, when, when they know hey I'm, I, I only uh, we've already committed to what we're going to do um it also provides cover to the project manager as well because um well, i mean it just covers everybody in general because they know so from a project manager perspective hey i'm gonna have customer x asking me for something and they should already be thinking about um hey is this is this a drop everything and do this are they gonna have time to do this in the sprint is this a small task a big task you know, those kinds of things are already starting to trip in their head. And from a from a, a customer's perspective or a stakeholder's perspective, if they are also bought into Agile, they also are thinking in terms of, hey, I, this needs to get on the backlog. I'm going to tell you what the priority is. And so the project manager and the, and the shareholder can have that conversation about, hey, we've already got 12 things we're committed to. Um, you know, we've already got a roadmap established. Where does this fit? Where, you know, help me prioritize this. And so that that filtering of information, you know, happens way up front. So when it comes time to develop, you know, you, the developers just doing what's kind of not unlike what you were what you were talking about with the post-it note, but with a with a more concise plan and a more vision. Um, more information can actually be uh, shared. So you can actually see as, as somebody who made the request, where does that rank? How far down, you know, am I going to see this next week, next year, ever? <laughs> um, those okay, kinds so of things. So it covers on, everybody. Yeah. You touched on stakeholders. Uh, I mean, like, what does this mean to, what does this mean to, let's say the product owner or uh, the users of the product, like why why should I care that the project is is agile? Like I just want my stuff, get it to me. When can you give me my stuff? How long? I, I get this question pretty often. How long does it take to write software? Uh, <laughs> that's always a loaded one because uh, you know I can tell these people are coming from traditional software projects where you know again the development team goes off into a vacuum and comes back. Yeah. with a large invoice and probably not exactly what they're looking for. So why should I care as a, as a, uh, as a, as a product owner that this is an agile project? Um, well, again, you're going to get that feedback sooner. Uh, you'll know how far away your, your project is. Um, one, one thing that one thing you might, uh, the one thing, I would say I would say this from a from a product owner or somebody who's wants to know like hey the product the the project started on January one it's going to be done by blah that's hard to do 
um, because of the changing nature of things that we just talked about. Um, so really, I think you have to work more towards um, a, we, you know, what, when can we have something to be releasable, that MVP kind of thing. Um, and I don't think, you know, hard and fast deadlines are, are kind of uh, the thing to focus on anymore. It's more of like, hey, when are these features going to be out? Um, you know, what was it uh, we talked before about? Was it 10 years that uh, Google Mail, Gmail was in beta? Yeah, it was in a beta. Right. <laughs> so, um, and a lot of software now is, is released as quick as possible with as many features as possible and then just incrementally improve. Well, I mean, Netflix is being updated all the time, every day, all day. Like they, do you know what version of Netflix you're running right now? No, exactly. <laughs> but they are releasing new versions of specific features and functions of that platform continuously. They've got an entire pipeline set up so that code makes its way to production almost hands-free and the user is never any of the wiser of it. You're just, the experience continues to evolve, but it's not like, oh, Netflix version 7.23 is coming out tonight. Everybody yeah. uh, turn off your streaming devices for an hour and then get your new update. No, it's, uh, oh, cool. Look, they added that thing over here. The menu, you know, like it's just, it's just evolving. I, I almost, I, I, I hesitate to say it because it almost sounds cliche, but software almost feels alive nowadays in that it's it's uh, a constantly evolving um, beast that is meeting the needs of its users in near real time. Yeah. And um, you spoke to it a little bit ago about, you know, big businesses uh, don't see themselves as software providers. They also don't budget in a software budget, you know, they have a marketing budget every year, they got sales, but software, the thing that they actually could, you know, make, you know, sales obviously contributes to the bottom line. Marketing has indirectly, you know, indirectly impacts the bottom line. Software can directly impact your bottom line. You know, it can point to efficiency, capacity, uh, customers, um, customer experience, uh, quality of your product, any, any number of, of arguments there. And yet, you know, uh, there, there hasn't been this renaissance, uh, of thought that I've seen across business just yet that I need to be continually investing in my, my software and my software is going to continually evolve to keep up with the, the growing needs of my business. So let me, let me jump in here because you just said a word that just got me to thinking. So, I, I mean, I always view software development as kind of an art form because there's no one one way to do it. You know, you're, ultimately, you're going to end up with what you end up with. Um, but you used the term renaissance. And I was thinking, I'm like, are there, is there anything else when we talk about renaissance that doesn't denote the arts? And so I just, it just dawned on me as you were talking, I'm like, wow, that, I, I feel like that's a, that's an art kind of like, if somebody says Renaissance, like, I mean, my brain immediately starts thinking about arts and, and uh, 
those kinds of things. Um, well, you, could be a, you could be a Renaissance man or a Renaissance woman. And that, that implies that you um, know a lot of things about a lot of things, right? Yeah. You, you have a, a um, you have experienced a diversity of thought and interests. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that, but even that's, you know, nebulous and, at best. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, um, um, now I've lost my train of thought with that. I just, as you said that, I was just like, hey, oh, I know what it was. So I'm wondering how many times somebody will put a deadline on somebody. And so analogy I like to put, I like to think of software development as well as building a house, especially from a from an agile perspective. You know, you've got the traditional way of, um, you know, waterfalls where you're gonna do the architecture, you're gonna order all your supplies and everything else. Well, software is not built that way. And in almost all cases, I've never seen software where they've never asked for a single change. Mm -hmm. In an agile methodology, we'd be looking at it from a perspective of maybe building a room at a time. And so you could end up with a three bedroom house, a four bedroom house, a one bedroom house, but we are constantly building the house. At the end of it, you will have a house. <laughs> um, it might not it might not be finished you know in your mind um you know you ultimately wanted the 10 bedroom house but you know say you're on room number four and you find out i don't have any more money or i'm moving well you didn't have to pay for the 10 bedroom house you paid for four bedrooms um you know you're not you're not uh getting charged change fees to actually have to change the architecture and go get reapproved and all the other fun stuff you know you just build what you need when you need it so that, 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 that analogy I feel still holds true from a, from a software development perspective, if that helps help somebody understand like the difference between how waterfall development development would go versus, versus, uh, um, you know, agile methodology to building a house. Um, you know, even you can change, you can change things in there like, uh, Type, different type of insulation or maybe the plumbing. I know that's a big thing that changes. You should use copper pipes and they went to PVC and now they've got some, some bendable PEC stuff. You know, you, all that stuff can get factored in, in, in near real time of when you want to change it. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we do with the software in an agile platform is you can change whatever you want, whenever you want give us that little time box, at least from a scrum perspective to finish up what our tasks are. Unless like you're like, you're fond of saying we're, we're building a car and then all of a sudden the business changes like, hold on, we're building boats now. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you, that's when you would actually put on the brakes and like, okay, let's reevaluate. Let's not keep going. Right. Um, but you know, we've got enough, there's enough translatable features there that we yeah. can, that we can easily adapt to that new requirement or that yeah. new strategy or you know that new line of business that we're we're trying to address i mean it's uh it, you know unless it's you know just in a completely different business domain there's a fair amount of crossover um as as a business pivots the product can pivot along with it and from a product owner's perspective you want to be able to pivot faster you fail fast, right? That's what we talked about uh, a couple uh, uh, broadcasts ago. We want to identify, are we on the right track? And we want to fail as close to those decisions making, you know, as close to, uh, we, we want to fail as quickly as possible. We want to 
fail as close to that decision point as we can so that we can and it's, maybe it's not uh, it might be a mischaracterization to say a failure but you know we want to be able to pivot we want to be able to be agile look at me we want to be able to, to uh, have the agility to turn and approach business problems rapidly and we can't do that if we're 18 months down the road and then get new guidance at that point but we can do that if we're de developing and delivering every three four weeks to show and and we're showing yeah incremental progress because now the people who are invested in it from the product owner the management the development team the the all the stakeholders have eyes on it we're having a dialogue we're we're understanding where we are and where we're going as it's happening in, in close to real time and the yeah, end well is that we're weaving towards the perfect product that meets the market need. Well, one thing you said there that um, I know on recent projects that, you know, people have been skittish about demonstrating stuff because sometimes while it is demonstrable, it might not be a hundred percent, you know, ready for prime time, but you, you want it as close to that as possible, but there, there might be some warps. Um, but there's value in showing uh, your progress to that point. Um, you know, maybe you're developing a user interface and you want to make sure that this user interface is kind of headed in the right direction. Um, you know, and it might, it, it, it might throw up on you while you're demoing or something. And, and, and so I think as long as, as long as your shareholders and everybody that's involved understands that, Hey, this is not, you know, necessarily a hundred percent, the concepts are there the the information is there that that we can actually start having a dialogue hey did, did we go the right direction right. Are, are we way off base i mean but you that, they, that feedback becomes vital and they know that that the structure of the project is that it might not work even if even it goes to production and it might not work 100 percent the way we yeah. want it to we know that that fix is going to be right along behind it so yeah. the worst i got to do is live with you know, obviously we're not, we're, we're going to catch the critical failures before they go out the door, but maybe yeah. it's a, a, you know, it's some nuance around the product. You know, I want the button to be available when I click over here. Okay. Well, you have to live with that for, you know, maybe three weeks. Yeah. You know, oh, and then it goes into the next release cycle. And then, you know, it's, you're constantly developing, releasing, gathering more information, gathering new requirements, developing release. I mean, it's, it's that tank tread of development that uh, that that is is continual, and then you know we like to add the extra measure of measurement in there so that we can show, you know, what's the everybody wants a return on investment from the uh, from from the product owner's perspective. Here's the return on your investment as we perceive it. Okay, we've saved you uh, 27 minutes of this 42 minute process. Okay, so multiply that across 10 employees and that's 15 minutes times 10 employees. You know, that's you, you start getting into considerable numbers when you consider how much time that is when um, when you start multiplying it out across the organization. And you can really see some dramatic time savings in a pretty short amount of time by by having those those performance indicators just to circle us all the way back to what we were talking about in the very beginning yeah and you can also an, another another uh feedback 
loop that you'll get is maybe the stakeholders aren't the ultimate ultimate users of the product. It's true. And so you get something out early, and so they can see, hey, was that decision the right decision? Wait, every time I'm always having problems when I'm actually using this, that button being in that location is not ideal. I need to put it over here. Or hey, this field, it would be better if it was over here. Like, but you get to see it, touch it, and play with it. Um, and it's out in the world to get to get that feedback. Um, and so then you're as a developer, you're back working to the next thing. They're they're playing with it, breaking it, you know, seeing maybe even it sparks more curiosity that they start coming to you with other ideas of of things. And so you, you constantly, like you said, tank tread, you know, you constantly get that feedback loop of build it, show it, play with it, you know, report on it. Um, so we love it. We love it. Agile. We're, we're obviously, we're big fans. We've been doing it for a long time. We take it everywhere we go. Um, if you need help getting it stood up, we'd love to, you know, share it with your organization as well. Absolutely. Um, I think we beat this one up pretty good. Anything else? Uh, that's all I got for me, man. All right, cool. We will catch you all soon. This has been For Love of Code. You can find us at forloveofcode.com. That's F-O-R, loveofcode.com. We're on all the socials. You can find us on YouTube and anywhere where you're sucking down your streaming content. We're up there too. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you all soon. You will. You will.